I imagine that in life, you have experienced a moment or most likely multiple moments where you've had a revelation, where something new or something unknown or hidden to you has all of a sudden been revealed. Uh, Maybe it was, I wish I'd had this experience, but maybe it was a moment where it was revealed to you that you were going to have an inheritance. Or maybe it's as simple as just that moment in a story when all of a sudden something new is revealed to you. Like the moment in the Star Wars saga where you discover finally who Darth Vader really is. You know, that sort of thing. Or or maybe it's something sadder and, and more difficult, like the moment when you find out something about a family member. Maybe something in the past or even something in the present. In these moments of revelation, typically we don't just experience the revelation like something in a vacuum. In these moments, we're simultaneously confronted by that revelation. We're asked this question of how will we respond? One such moment of revelation and confrontation was written about in the fictional story, A Christmas Carol. It was written 177 years ago by Charles Dickens. And in that story, the main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, experiences this pretty incredible revelation. What's revealed to him is that he is unliked, unloved, and living his right life for all the wrong reasons. Now, this obviously confronts him. Uh, the, the question that he has to wrestle with is, is that true? Is he selfish? Is he greedy? And he, so he's left with this wrestling, with this question, and this really question of how will he respond? The God of the Bible and the God of the Christian faith is a God who also reveals and confronts. In fact, the Advent season is all about God doing that, God revealing himself and and confronting us with a question. We're confronted by what God reveals, and we must wrestle with a question of how we'll respond to it. Now, I say all of this as a way of introduction or reintroduction back into our Advent series. We are currently examining four moments of divine revelation around the time of Jesus' birth. And I call these instances divine because they reveal, well, because something supernatural happens when they are revealed. For example, angels show up or or angels come and speak or sing. Uh, In other moments, the Holy Spirit does something and he stirs up people to prophesy where people speak divinely of the future. We've titled this series that we're doing Reveal because all of these miraculous moments that we're looking at in this series reveal something. They're like these giant arrows all pointing to the one gigantic truth. And that is that this baby that we look at at Christmas time is no ordinary baby, no ordinary child, but is in fact the Son of God. When we think about divine revelation, what we typically think about is angels and, and messages given by angels or angelic choirs coming to see shepherds and that sort of thing. But what we're going to look at today is actually a moment beyond these things. We're actually going to look exactly at 40 days after Jesus was born. Now, you may be sitting there wondering, well, 
how can we know where Jesus was or what was going on 40 days after he was born? Well, if you look with me, you'll actually see what I'm talking about. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in a Bible. If you have a Bible, that's great. If you don't, you can just look this passage up on your phone. Luke chapter 2 is where I'm going to go. Now, this book in the Bible called Luke is written, not surprisingly here, by a guy named Luke. And this guy, Luke, we believe, was actually a doctor. And so we we can imagine that he was a very methodical, analytical type of guy. In fact, he tells us that when he was putting Luke, the book of Luke and the book of Acts together, that he was getting eyewitness accounts. And so we can wonder, did Luke actually get to meet some of these people that are listed in these stories and talk to them or people who knew them? And so what Luke talks about in Luke chapter 2, where we're turning to, is the story of the shepherds and the angels. And that's one that we're all very familiar with. But we're going to actually look at what Luke records that happens exactly after that. And so I'm going to invite you to pick up with me from verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. And this is what it says there. And at the end of the eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Uh, the name that was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Go on to verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the law, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now just pause there for a moment with me. It's almost as if Luke is helping us out here. He knows who's reading his accounts and knows that some of us are not Jewish. And it's almost like he's pulling back the curtain and saying, hey, for you guys who aren't Jewish, let me tell you a little bit about the Jewish culture and what happened to Jesus after he was born. And so culturally, what would happen is a child would be born And then if they were a male, they were circumcised and named, given their official name, eight days after they were born. And then 33 days later, they would go up to the temple where they would present themselves there for purification. There was this whole thing where they would go and say, hey, we're here, we're before God, this is an important moment for our family. And so they would go to the temple together. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 12 in the Old Testament. And so what we see here is them going and doing that and fulfilling what God had told them to do. And what we're going to see that happens very in the very next verses is actually a supernatural move of God. Now, this isn't a moment where we see flashes of lightning or a voice booming from heaven or angels appearing, but it's simply two humans speaking, but not just speaking, speaking prophetically stirred up by God, by the Holy Spirit, revealing the significance of who this baby is. So let's read on. Verse 25, it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation." 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What we're told here in this text about Simeon is that he is this gentleman who's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's in verse 25. What is that word? What, what does that phrase mean? The consolation of Israel. Well, if you go to other parts of the New Testament, that word consolation is sometimes translated as comfort or encouragement. So this guy is waiting for the comfort, the encouragement, the consolation of Israel. And what that's speaking to is the fact that Simeon is waiting for the things that have been foretold about Israel, God's chosen people, to be fulfilled. That there would be a wholeness that would come, that there would be a savior, a Messiah, a Christ who would come and fix the brokenness of God's people. And he would bring freedom for, for them. This is an idea that came from way back in the very first book of the Bible or the first book of the Torah, the book of Genesis, where God started to promise and promise over and over through, uh, through all the Old Testament scriptures that this was something that he was going to do. And so this is what Simeon is waiting for. And we're told that Simeon is this righteous man, that he's devout and that the Holy Spirit is upon him. He's a very special man. And so in a moment, I don't know exactly how this happened, but the Holy Spirit prompts him to go up to the temple. He knows that he needs to go up there. And so we can picture the scene of what's happening. In walks to the temple, Mary and Joseph, who are 40 days into being parents for the first time. And they've got this little newborn baby, Jesus, with them. And so you can imagine these guys are not wealthy. They're not famous. They're out of towners. They're walking in quietly with this baby into the temple. And up comes to them Simeon, prompted by the Holy Spirit. And so they're probably like, okay, what's, what's this guy doing? Simeon reaches out and says, may I hold this child? And so Mary maybe tentatively hands over Jesus to Simeon. What happens next is incredible. Simeon, stirred up by the Holy Spirit, begins to speak and prophesy. And what he says first is, thank you, God. Thank you that you have allowed me to see your Messiah, to see your Christ. After that, he then goes on and talks about this Christ, this Messiah, and says a couple of very interesting things. He, firstly, he says that this Messiah, this baby, will be a revelation to the Gentiles. And then he says that he will be a glory for God's people, Israel. Now, that's an interesting distinction. Why, why does that exist? Why is that there? The Gentiles, it's a revelation to the people of Israel. It's a glory. Well, Israel already had a revelation of who God was. That had been given to them in the Old Testament scriptures. They knew that there was a God and that he had a plan for salvation, that he was going to send a Messiah. This was prophesied in the law and the prophets and the things written by Moses. And so the, the Israelites were waiting for this Savior. They were waiting for this, this Messiah to come. And what Simeon is saying is incredible because he's saying this baby is that one that's been prophesied about. But there's even more to what he says that's even more amazing, and that is that he's not just there to help out Israel, but he's actually there to save all of mankind. And so what he's saying is, for the Gentiles, this is going to be a revelation. This is going to be a completely new thing. And for the Israelites, it's going to be a glory because it's the fulfillment of the things that they already know and it is already revealed to them. 
And so this is all very interesting, but Simeon is not finished yet. So I, I want to ask you to read on with me. In verse 33, it says this, And his father and his mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As we read on into this passage, you can probably picture Mary and Joseph there standing with their mouths wide open. It tells us that they marvel at what's being said. And Simeon turns to them and he blesses them. And then he turns his attention specifically to Mary and he continues to prophesy. And what he says to Mary, I find, is somewhat more confusing. It sounds a little bit more cryptic than what he said earlier. In verse 34, he says that this child is appointed for the fall and for the rise of many in Israel. Like, what's that talking about? Well, if you read on into the account of Jesus' life given in Luke or in any of the Gospels that give us accounts of Jesus' life, we can find out what is meant by that. You see, many who were religious who thought that they were good by their own keeping of God's laws and commands, when they saw Jesus, they rejected and despised him. These self-righteous people fall, fell into judgment because they rejected Jesus. And at the same time, something incredible happened. Many who were outsiders and sinners, when they saw Jesus and saw who he was and the grace that they were he was offering them, they ran towards him. And as they received his teaching, as they received his love, they were forever changed. They were born again and they were raised to a new life. This is what the rising and falling is all about. And what this reminds us of is the truth that Jesus is not a neutral character. You can't just look at Jesus and look at his life and say, well, Jesus is a nice guy, isn't he? No, he's not just a nice guy. The Bible here is telling us he was more than a nice guy. He was the son of God. Jesus himself said, I am the son of God. And I've said this before, but C.S. Lewis puts this so plainly and well. And I have to say it again. He says that we have three reasonable responses when it comes to Jesus, when Jesus is revealed to us. He says the first reasonable response is to believe that Jesus is a liar. And the things said about him are lies as well. That he was, you know, the greatest con artist that the world has ever seen. That he wasn't really the son of God. He was just another man. The second reasonable response is to believe that Jesus was a lunatic. That he was out of his mind, just crazy, saying things that weren't true and weren't real. The third possible reasonable response that Lewis gives us, and I agree with, is that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. That Jesus is exactly who the scriptures said he was. The Lord, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one that we all have to bow down and surrender to. As verse 34 puts it, in this text here, Jesus causes people to rise and to fall. You see, when, we're, when Jesus is revealed to us, we are confronted with a choice. And that choice 
is to believe or to reject him. Jesus is a character who divides. He divided people in his, in his day when he was walking here on planet Earth. And for every moment of history since, he has been dividing people. If you look at verse 35, it says that Jesus was coming so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's what Jesus does. He, he, he reveals and, 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 we, and he reveals like whether we will believe in him and trust him or whether we won't. Jesus came to reveal and to confront a world that had and continues to reject him. All that will matter at the end of time, on the very last day in the history of this world, is what we think and what we believe about Jesus. And so this is a good point for me to just say, hey guys, what do you believe about Jesus? This passage reveals that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Do you believe that to be true? And in fact, the sermon could actually stop here. This is a really good question, a really important question, and one that every person needs to consider, absolutely has to consider. And so a good question is, how many of you have considered that question and believe? Maybe some of you would say, yeah, I do believe. Jesus is my Savior. I'm thankful for His grace. I look to Him for His leading. And if that is you, that's fantastic. And what I would say to you, guess what? There's actually more in this text that God would speak to us. But before we go on to that, this question of what we believe about Jesus is so important. It's so primary. And so that's the reason for us to just pause here for a moment and say, what do we believe about what is revealed about Jesus, that he is God's son sent to save us? So there is more to what Simeon speaks. In fact, when he speaks to Mary, he, he directs part of it, what he says, directly to her. He says to her that a sword will pierce her own soul. That's in verse 35. And again, we have to ask, what does that mean? Well, Simeon's speaking prophetically about some pain that Mary was going to experience. If you haven't thought about it before, I want you to think with me the journey that Mary went through. She has... Before we read here, she has this angel show up and tell her that she's going to carry the Son of God, that she's going to conceive and have this baby, and all of it happens. And as it happens, there's all these, these crazy things that happen, angels and shepherds and wise men, all this stuff that happens. And Mary gets to witness all of that. What's interesting is after all this supernatural activity, we don't actually know much of what happens be between this moment we're at here and about 30 years later, three decades later, when Jesus starts his public ministry, we only know a few things. In fact, one of the things we know is what it tells us in verse 40 here. It tells us in verse 40 that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, talking of Jesus, and the favor of God was upon him. Mary got to see all of that, this incredible child, this divine child that she had a part in raising. And then 30 years later on, she gets to see as Jesus begins his public ministry, he's baptized, and then all these miracles start to happen. He starts to form a group of close uh, friends and disciples who are following his teaching. 
And, he be, and Jesus begins to, to teach thousands of people. She, she sees as he teaches thousands on the hillside. And all of this stuff is mounting and this incredible life that she's witnessing. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, it all unravels. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's tried unfairly. And finally, he's hung on a Roman instrument of torture to die. And we know that Mary was right there watching all of that unravel. And so as Mary is standing there, within earshot, she can see Jesus hanging on this cross dying. What's going through her heart and her mind in this moment? Well, I think probably one of the best ways to describe what she's experiencing is the words that Simeon prophetically speaks here. It would have felt like a sword going through her very own soul. You see, God saw the pain that was coming to Mary. And God decides to speak years ahead of time into that pain because he cares for her. But he doesn't just speak ahead of time. In fact, God cares for her in that moment. There's this beautiful story in John 19. I won't turn there right now with you, but in John 19, as as Jesus is there dying on the cross, he calls down from the cross to John and says, John, you look after my mom from now on. God cares about Mary's pain. God saw the pain that was coming for her. And what this text does is it reveals part of the heart of God, that he is a God who cares about our pain. And maybe some of you are in the midst of pain right now and you need to be reminded of that. You need that to be revealed to you again and to hear that God cares about your pain. That is true. From verse 36 onwards, we actually leave Simeon behind. We don't actually hear about him anymore. But what we're told is of something else supernatural that happens in this same moment. You can read with me in verse 36 of of what happens. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, Um, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping and fasting with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. What we're told about Anna is quite interesting, really pretty incredible. She's a widow and she's quite old. She's been a widow for a long time. She's also a prophetess and she's constantly in the temple. That's where she is. She's constantly seeking God. She's fasting. She's praying. And just as Simeon is handing back, we can picture it, as as Simeon's handing back this baby Jesus to Mary and Joseph, Over on the side, this lady, Anna, steps up and starts declaring God's goodness and his plan of salvation. It tells us in verse 38 that she gives thanks to God and begins to speak to all of him who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna were both instruments that God used to reveal who Jesus was. Now, God chose to use angels in part of the story They also were instruments in revealing who who Jesus was. But these are just two humans, a man and a woman like you and me. And they were used by God to reveal something so significant. 
And I in fact think that there's something really significant in this thought alone. God can use humans who are seeking him to reveal the significance of who he is. If you're settled on what you believe about Jesus, that he is your Lord, that he is your King and your Savior, you are also called by God to join him in sharing the hope that is found in Jesus. To be like Anna, to be like Simeon, declaring the goodness of God right where he has placed you. These people were just doing life led by the Holy Spirit right where God had placed them. And God does the same in our lives as well. So what this passage does is, and by the way, this passage is often overlooked when we do an Advent series. But what this passage does is it reveals a truth. And at the same time, it confronts us with several questions. The primary revelation and question is around this revelation that Jesus is the Messiah and the question that goes with that of what will we believe? Will we believe that that is true? But there is, uh, and, and by the way, that's a very, very important question, one that I would ask all of you to wrestle with. But this text also reveals other things to us. It reveals that God cares and asks us if we know God's heart of care for us. I just would highlight a few quick texts to you. We talked about a few weeks ago, Psalm 139. And in that text, it says that God's thoughts about us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. God knows, God cares about us. That's undeniable. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast our cares, our anxieties on him because, on God, because he cares for us. This text also reveals that God uses us, mankind, to reveal who he is. And by so doing, we are asked, will we answer this call to join in revealing who Jesus is? Will we seek to be like Anna and to be like Simeon in declaring and proclaiming who God is, to be used by him? And so, That's a number of questions. That's actually quite a few questions. And so maybe the best question for me to bring this all down to is the question of what is God revealing to you right now? Are you open not just to his revelation, but are you open to him changing you? I spoke at the very beginning about Ebenezer Scrooge, who after the moment of revelation and confrontation is actually a changed man. He's no longer a Scrooge, but actually a generous man. And I'd put it to you that we here, even in the text today, have a revelation that's much stronger than any that Ebenezer experienced. Something more powerful than the Christmas story. We have Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. So what is he revealing to you today? And how will you be changed by the things that we looked at here in God's word together?